Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast. It's Wednesday, January the 4th, and you're very welcome to this first politics podcast of 2017 from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Remember that you can find us on irishtimes.com slash podcast, or you can subscribe via iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. And if you're a subscriber, we'd be really grateful if you could take a moment to rate or to review the show. Now, for today's podcast, we were joined by John Halligan, the Independent Alliance TD and Minister of State, to discuss the political realities of moving from the opposition benches to the responsibilities of government. And it's not Nothing worse than a TD or a a politician or someone representing the public who doesn't want to say something that's on his mind. I would never be like that. Ask me any question, I'll do my best answer. But first, I asked our political editor, Pat Leahy, for his political weather forecast. Pat, we're uh, not quite, but almost back to school. Uh, What, if anything, can we expect in the new term? I think um, one of the things we'll see uh, is that many of the issues that, I mean, the, the, the government, if you, if you look back where we were six months ago, there was severe doubt as to whether the government would last until Christmas. The early days of it were quite, um, quite unstable. In the last three months or so, I think the government has kind of stabilised. It has found a way of working with itself. Its component parts, while they come from different political perspectives, have established a means of communication with one another. And that makes it, I think, easier for them to get on with the business of government. And it makes it less likely that the government will fall by accident. That's not to say the government won't fall, but I think it's less likely to happen over a a disagreement that nobody foresaw, for instance, on abortion or on the Apple judgment which were two of the flashpoints of last summer, which in both cases brought the government right to the the brink of collapse. I I think it has moved on to a different phase now. But one of the things that enabled it to move to a different phase was that it kicked to touch many of the pressing issues of, uh, of government that required decisions in the second half of 2016. So things like abortion, things like public sector pay, things like water charges, all these things that in the ordinary course of events the government would have to decide and which there were very different perspectives on within government have been, uh, were, were, were kicked into touch. Now, the nature of a kick into touch is that somebody throws the ball back in and I think that we will see the ball thrown back in on several of those issues uh, over the course of the next six months. And perhaps to touch again. Uh, I, I, I think, for instance, possible? on water charges, you're running on public sector pay, you're running out of, uh, without to convolute the metaphor uh, too intensively, I think you're running out of space to kick, uh, uh, to kick those issues to touch. In parallel with that, I think the biggest things facing this government are two external dynamics. One, the um, uh, the coming to power of Donald Trump as president of the United States, which happens in a couple of weeks. And while we're all focused on the theatre of that, the very real and practical effects of it, I think will hit us in things like uh, trade, international trade. Uh, Donald Trump, if there's one consistent thing in what in in Donald Trump's political philosophy, if that's not to elevate it to too lofty a status, uh, it is the belief that uh, the open system of international trade has led to America being played to its disadvantage by uh, by China principally, but also in other free trade uh, agreements. This is a man that as far back as 1987 took out a full page ad in the New York Times uh, at his own expense, cost him $100,000 um, uh, then to warn about the the uh, the dangers of free trade agreements with Japan at the time and how America was being uh, was being played to its disadvantage by uh, by Japan. So that is, if there is, if 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 much of what Donald Trump said um, uh, on the campaign trail was extemporised, um, 
that is one of the things that wasn't. He has this belief and I think, and he's already signalled both in his appointments and in the statements that he has made before his inauguration that he will retreat from uh, from the free uh, the, for the free trade, the promotion of global of open so that's global obviously trade, a, you know, a, a threat to foreign direct investment in Ireland or a potential one. If there's a slowdown, there, there is hardly a country imaginable in the world, possibly, possibly except for Singapore, that is so open to world trade as Ireland does. And if there is a slowdown in world trade, it will hit our economy. There, that's a rather long-winded way of saying that these great international events Brexit being, the, Brexit being the other one Brexit of course being the other one and it will, it will have a similar um, a similar effect on, uh, on on domestic politics here principally through the constriction of available resources to the government so if the, one of the means for the government to deal with domestic crisis and we've seen political difficulties were overcome in the run into the budget by an expansion of the previously agreed budget essentially throwing money at the problem um, if that is one of the principal ways open to this government in the absence of the political capital needed for deep and far-reaching reform, which it doesn't have, it will throw money at problems. Now it will have less money to throw at problems. So to sum up, you have an entity, if you were to think of the government as a life form in a way, which has managed to extend its life perhaps already a little longer than, than, than some people initially predicted by doing as little as possible or by procrastinating or postponing tough decisions. Some of those tough decisions will inevitably return and challenge that government continued existence this year. Plus there are these broader issues which to be perfectly honest I still have huge trouble getting my head around what they'll mean in terms of the politics of Ireland in the next 18 to 24 months beyond this thing about they might prolong Enda Kenny's uh, tenure as Taoiseach. Like what will what will be happening you know under the, under the hood with Brexit negotiations if and when Article 50 is, is triggered at whatever point that is and what will the reaction be let's say to a, a serious economic slowdown, uh, which may or may not be the outcome of, of, of the first two years of Donald Trump. It, 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 it's it all very not, woolly, I suppose, is what I'm yeah, saying. It, and, it, it may not be. Predictions are, as uh, the saying goes, predictions are difficult, especially about, uh, especially about the future. One paradoxical uh, effect of these international dynamics that we've discussed maybe to actually add to the stability of government in a peculiar way because I think at a time when you know there are such external threats and there is such important business going on uh, for one place on the European stage in terms of negotiations on Brexit and so forth um, I think it will become harder for Fianna Fáil, whose support is, of course, integral to the uh, continuation of the government, to pull the government down on a whim for political advantage may also become more difficult for Enda Kenny's internal critics to challenge him, uh, which many of them are talking about doing uh, uh, next summer. Uh, Whilst that may be self-evidently in the interests, in the narrow electoral interests of Fianna Gael, I think it will be a much harder case to make that it is uh, in the national interest. But uh, the flip side, of course, of the fact that these you know, external forces are weighing on, uh, on the government means that, as we discussed earlier, it has less money with which to solve problems. Well, and one of the great problems, and in many ways one of the defining issues, I think, of uh, the first six months of, uh, of this year will be dealing with public Does sector pay. Does it all improve the negotiating position of Pascal Donoghue and his colleagues that the fact that there is this global and economic uncertainty, there is this sense of don't rock the boat, that if there are to be very tough negotiations and possibly industrial unrest with public service unions in particular, that there might be more support for a, for a harder line than there would have been 12 months ago? I think it does, uh, actually. Actually, and I, I think that all industrial relations disputes come down to some degree or other to battles for public opinion. And, you know, in an era of demonstrably scarce and perhaps thinning resources, uh, I, I think it makes it harder for the public sector unions uh, to push for a larger share of the pie when that pie may be 
constricting in size, but also when there are other demands on, uh, uh, on, on the pie, such as with the homelessness and the housing crisis uh, issue, uh, I think, being ongoing, uh, such as, and we see, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of people on, on trolleys in, uh, in A&E wards overnight. When those sort of very visible uh, social needs are pressing for government attention, and for resources, it will make it a harder battle for the public sector unions uh, to seek the allocation of, of resources that are demonstrably scarce and perhaps due to international factors becoming more scarce. Pat, thanks for that. We'll be back with John Halligan. You're listening to the Irish Times. So Pat Leahy is still with us and we're joined by John Halligan, the Independent Alliance TD for Waterford, also Minister of State for Training, Skills and Innovation. You're very welcome, John. Pleasure. You've always struck me as a reluctant minister. Is that fair? Possibly. (laughs) It has been difficult. There's no question about it. I mean, if you look at the background I've come from, um, and I I continually say this, and it's probably monotonous at this stage, but it is truthful. I came from the Workers' Party. I came from left-wing politics, uh, right into supporting um, essentially what would be, (laughs) some would say, moderately right to a right-wing government. And that has been... I never tell a lie. It's been extreme, extremely difficult for me. It has been mind-challenging, to say the least, uh, week after week, uh, because there are difficult decisions. Um, I done it because I felt at the time that um, I have a great. I'm, I'm a great believer in democracy. I believe people made a decision in the last election, irrespective as to what anybody thinks. They decided that this is how they wanted it all made up. Sinn Fein people before profit, Socialist Party, an array of independents, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and they said, now, form up. Now, we were faced with, uh, um, if you like, going back to the electorate after a few weeks, if you like. And what annoyed me about it all was, and I've said this again, and I'll continue, I said it and I'll continue to say it, and it makes no sense to me that here you had some of the major parties, like Sinn Féin, uh, uh, Fianna Fáil and others, who put costly manifestos to the people to say this is how we would govern the country and this is how we would make your lives better but when they got an opportunity to do it they wouldn't do it they said no we're not going into government so like I fail to understand the reasoning in that as to why if you put a manifesto or if you believe you can change if you can even if it's only aspirational but if you believe you can make a change that you wouldn't attempt to do it because I do believe essentially people vote for you not to be in opposition to try and be in government and make a change now you do need a competent and uh, a complete opposition that are good at their job. You do need that. But I do believe that we were faced with a prospect where everybody, Fianna Fáil had said no, Sinn Féin had said absolutely no, Fianna Fáil would not go with Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin would not go with Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fáil would, would not go with Fine Gael, vice versa. Uh, other independents opt, opted out. The Social Democrats said no. So we said we'd give it a go. Otherwise, you were back to the electors. And essentially, again, you were saying to the electors, we don't like how you voted, will you vote again? I think we all would have paid a price there. And I think all, all that would have happened would have sullied politics. Uh, we have a high percentage of people in the country not voting for various reasons. Uh, very many of them young people who have given up on politics. Um, I've visited almost every school I can think of in Waterford and all universities and the job that I do. And you can see and you can feel the disillusionment in politics where people say, Jesus, what's this about? And could you imagine where... The, the individual, like uh, uh, in a democratic country, where many countries in the world where you can't vote. So people went to the trouble of exercising their vote. I know, for instance, I can only talk about water, but the same everywhere else, where people came from Dublin. I know people came from London. You know, people came from in, 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 in the referendum, the same, same-sex marriage, from Australia to vote. Now, were we going to say to those people, nah, we don't like how you vote? The, Let's go again. That, that's all absolutely fair enough. But one of the things that strikes me about it is that We've had members of the Labour Party in this studio who said very similar things in terms of their, their responsibility to create a government. Yeah. This is the doll that was yeah. created. They had to go in and do the best they could to get their policies in, in association with a party who they didn't necessarily yeah. share their, yeah. their core beliefs with. But Labour, of course, got destroyed for, for doing that. And we might get destroyed. Like, it's possible. But again, we're at and I think Pat is as astute a politician as any politician I know in the Dáil can tell you that are we going to have a one party government in the next five, ten years I don't think so I don't think it's going to happen so you go to the country again and Fianna Fáil get the most seats who are they going to have to go to? Independence they can't go to Sinn Féin they won't 
They won't go to Fine Gael, that's obvious, although there's no discernible differences in their policies. So, like, again, uh, it was a difficult decision. You say to yourself, well, look, I mean, I had people from the Labour Party who said, Jesus, John, don't go in with them, they'll turn you over. I had former ministers who said to me, they will turn you over because it is in their nature. And were they right? Well, <laughs> it's, it's, we're six, seven months in, and I think it's going to take some time yet. As you can imagine, we've had some difficulties, the Alliance. Um, I've had some personal difficulties regarding issues in my own constituency. I, and I don't like saying my own constituency. I say the South East. Um, we've had difficulties with um, um, uh, votes, um, uh, votes of conscience. That's a free vote and so on. But like we're trying to, we still think, and I still believe... Um, Can I ask you about the votes of conscience thing? Because obviously this arose in relation to the um, the bill in relation to fatal fetal abnormalities. Yes. Uh, quite a public row blew up. And yeah, I'd like in, to talk about that because yeah, because I, I, you might I, not know about I heard yeah. you talking about this um, um, on the radio last week. <clears throat> and as I understand it, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, what you were saying was there, there had been an understanding when you went into government that there would be a free vote on... on issues which were not in the programme for Absolutely. government and were issues yeah, of, yeah. of confidence. But then when, when that particular thing blew up, there seemed to be a difference of opinion about what that agreement would be. And, because and I think what happened was the Attorney General was brought into the argument. And as a, as a minister, I have to be careful when I mention the Attorney General. As you know, um, I can't apparently be critical of the Attorney General because it may send out a terrible message that I'm criticising a prominent and uh, an interested part of the government. But I think what happened was that the Attorney General was brought into matters to say that it was unconstitutional. That opinion differed with other barristers, I believe, who said that it's not unconstitutional, that this is an issue that sooner or later has to be dealt with. And I just felt that if you think about it, you sometimes know when private members is coming out because of the makeup of the doll now, you can turn up on it next Tuesday or whenever the doll sits in the 17 and you're presented with something. So you have to make decisions on the spot. But I knew because Mick Wallace had spoken to me and Claire Daly and I've really good time for Claire Daly. And I really do. I think she's a top class politician. But we knew this was coming down the line and we knew this was going to be controversial. And we did actually go to the government weeks and weeks before anything broke in the press and said, look, this has the potential to cause real serious problems with at least three of us in the alliance. Is there a way out of this? And they said, no, there's not, because we're getting this is flawed legislation and flawed legislation is flawed legis legislation. My argument was, look, but should we have flawed legislation coming to the door and private members the whole bloody time? But people vote on it. That's the prerogative of somebody to bring an issue to the door that they feel is relevant. And I actually went to the Taoiseach on this and I said, look, I'm telling you, I said, I have real personal difficulty with this. I know Finney and McGrath on the same and Shane Ross. There must be some way out of this. And actually the proposal that had been put by the Alliance at the time was, and this was weeks before everything broke into papers and we were being interviewed and quoted or misquoted, whatever. And generally speaking, we're not misquoted. But... Uh, the idea I had, I, actually it was I had made a suggestion that Cabinet make the position that, look, this there is no position in Cabinet on this. This would have left it open for a free vote. They wouldn't have had, they wouldn't have had these external and internal rows going on as to... Where, so you know, was it the Attorney General's advice that was the problem? This is what the Taoiseach had said and this is what Fine Gael had said. But they also made the point that um, I, I think they have, I'm being honest with this, I think they have serious difficulties with free votes because they feel that it does some damage to the government. I don't believe it does, actually. I believe that it, it, it makes for a more open doll. And I also believe that what it does is it calls out people's conscience. And there's nothing worse than a TD or a, a, a politician or someone representing the public who doesn't want to say something that's on his mind. I would never be like that. Ask me any question, I do my best answer. Pat, I and I think to, that's. I, I want to ask you about this because it, it's interesting. There is no, you know, constitutional impediment to a free vote, you know, including the the, the members of government. Is there? Is there oh no, not not. So it's, not, it's not a pure, all, it's a purely political is, issue. But what there is, is that there is, an explicit constitutional requirement that the government must act as a collective authority, and that was the problem. I think. There was that technical legal problem and uh, John's colleague Shane Ross at the time uh, said, I, I don't think John said this, but I, I think Shane Ross at the time said that this the doctrine of government acting as a single authority was not necessarily applicable in, uh, in every instance, which is, I think, wrote at the time that it was kind of constitutionally illiterate. 
there is no constitutional requirement that uh, uh, that there cannot be a free vote on issues like that. And the Donald and free votes have taken place. Yeah, and it is Liam probably... Liam voting against his own government on a contraceptive bill in the 1970s. And if you look at other... Uh, if you look at other policies... The, if you look, you know, at, in, in the UK, for instance, there's a graduated system mm. of whips, one line, two line and three line whip. And quite typically, issues such as abortion, often issues relating to same sex uh, marriage, those type of social and sociosexual issues that have played a big part in politics everywhere over the last 25 years of society's laws, I suppose, caught up. Uh, to a degree with the way citizens were living uh, their lives. So what was the problem with this? But that those votes on those sort of issues um, uh, were were free votes. Um, Votes of conscience were free free votes in in a lot of other places. And uh, indeed there's some places where it's an absolute requirement that uh, votes on those issues are uh, are free votes or or votes of conscience, however you term it. That hasn't been the tradition. um, That hasn't been the tradition here. I think we are moving towards a position in part because of the, uh, the position that uh, John and his colleagues took uh, on that very publicly at the time to force uh, a free vote and essentially putting the future of the government on the line um, to, uh, uh, to secure a free vote. The difficulty and the kind of technical difficulty in that instance was that this was a piece of legislation that the Attorney General, uh, not just on this occasion, but when a similar piece of legislation came in the last government, uh, the Attorney General had ruled that it was un- un- unconstitutional, that her advice to the government was right. unequivocally not, and not ruled, outside, outside so, of, yeah. well, the, the Attorney General's formal legal mm. opinion, which is a matter of some standing within, uh, within government, was that it was clearly and unequivocally constitutional. Outside government, I'm one of the few people that has seen that advice. I saw it not on occasion last summer, but when it was previously offered to uh, to the Fine Gael Labour government, and it is absolutely unequivocal that the um, uh, uh, that uh, that the legislation of private members legislation to allow for abortion in cases of fatal fetal abnormality was in violation of Article forty three three of the uh, of the Constitution. Um, in those circumstances, it would have been extraordinary for the government to back that legislation. It was stretching the bounds of constitutional propriety, to put it no more strongly than that, for the government not to take a position. Um, uh, I think that precedent has now been established and I think, if I if I read the politics of it correctly, I think that John and his colleagues in the Independent Alliance are very insistent that that precedent has now been established, that in votes of that uh, uh, in, in votes of that type that there is um, uh, that there is a free vote, albeit that a motion providing for a referendum on the substantive abortion issue on the uh, the future of the Eighth Amendment was defeated uh, subsequently uh, was defeated subsequently in the Dáil. But I think what you saw at at the time was a sort of uh, not just a political difference, but kind of a culture clash between the establishment politicians of Fine Gael and the sort of outsiders brought inside that make up the uh, the independent yeah, alliance. Yeah. I, and I, often I, politics works yeah, at a couple I, of levels. I, I, I think Pat is absolutely correct the way he's laid out uh, how the Attorney General works and what had happened in Cabinet. But I think there are two issues here. That once again, I think we have to remember that this was an opinion by the Attorney General. Indeed, the Attorney General is a barrister. There are other barristers who can differ and who would differ. And if, uh, if, mm, if, the if, Attorney General is also an officer of the state, and as Pat says, chief, there are... Chief, law. chief law. But, yeah, but yeah. if you look at, at, at um, if I can recall now, and I can't recall the names, but I remember that bill coming before the doll or that motion coming before the doll where I, I think there was lots of legal people signed, lots, of, lots from the medical profession, who found no problem with it. But to come back to what Pat is saying, I think Pat is correct in that sense, that... There, there, like you don't want the fear to permeate through the doll that there's going to be a free vote every bloody week and everything and the, the government will be in chaos. As a matter of fact, that isn't the case if you look at votes over the last six or seven months. Another example would be, like I have a bill coming to the doll shortly and it's called uh, Dying with Dignity Bill, which, which allows assisted suicide, right? It's controversial. But the amount of people that have come to me from Fianna Fáil Prominent people in Fianna Fáil have said, John, if the whip is moved on that, I'll have a good think about that one. Sinn Féin have said it to me. 
I haven't had anybody from Fine say to me, oh, I have, I've, I've had one. Now, I think that we have to be at a stage in politics, and I think it can only be good for democracy, that we do not stifle and bang down conscience. Where are we in politics if you, irrespective of it? And I know that, that, that it has to be guided. I understand that it has to be deliberated on in the sense that you have to have stability in a government. But if you take away um, a, 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 a conscientious remark or something that a man wants to say or a woman wants to say, so you cannot say this in the place you were elected say it, and where the whole of the country may listen to you, I think we're on dangerous ground. I think ground a, lot, a lot of people would agree with you about that, but would you, accepting that, would you also accept, John, that your position now as a minister in government inevitably puts some constraints on the actions which you can take as a public It's a good question, and I'll answer it to the best of my ability. I am conscious of the fact that I'm part of the government. That's what I signed up to do. And I would have difficulties with the government, but in the job that I do, I defend the government as much as I can to the best of my ability. If I think they're wrong on issues, they're wrong on issues. That's it. But I do find that, um, and I, like, my my give to the government was, and our give to the government was from the Independent Alliance, is to come back to the beginning where nobody else wanted to try and form a government. Where we were facing into, we nobody, well, I believed that they were going to exit in England because of people I'd met over there. And my partner is from England and was involved in businesses over there, but that's he, neither here nor there. We were facing into uh, a Japanese economy, a, a, a little bit unstable, the instability right across Europe, um, um, American elections that nobody had... F- were told that that Trump might get elected, but the, the the prospect of that happening was there. But particularly Brexit, that was one of the reasons why we felt that somebody had to form some sort of a government. I stability. suppose the thing also that I wonder about that though is that I mean you, you've you've made it very clear over the last week or so that you. Uh, great admirer of Shane Ross. He essentially set up the Independent Alliance. You were saying earlier, you know, that you admire and have a lot of time for, for Claire Daly and I'd say people like Mick Wallace and, and other people. Like, what are you doing hanging around with an ex-stockbroker rather than the kind of people who are much closer to <laughs> well, you in terms no, no, of ideology good, and political a good, a good question. Like, I mean, I consider, if I can just come away from the politics for a couple of minutes, I would consider Shane Ross to be a friend. I've known Shane Ross well before I came into government and I... I know him personally as a friend. Uh, would I disagree with some some issues? Probably, but like he still remains a friend. I find him to be a man of honour. I, I think there's there are aspects of Shane Ross that I can't speak about that would surprise people. Um, how he deals with people that are less well off in society. Um, he doesn't want me saying that, but I do know a lot of what he does. People may not be aware of that. I think he's a re- essentially. I think he's a good man. But and if a funny thing, can I just say this? If I could just say this, very sure. important. When I was in opposition, if you look at opposition, you look at votes and and uh, debates on unemployment, on people less well off in society, on the Eighth Amendment, and so on. Look at his voting record. His voting record is more left than right. And I mean, you can only really judge somebody on how what they say. And how they act, what they say. But responding to the reality which you've, you've, you've described here, would you, would you uh, not have been better off? You look at the doll and ranging from Labour and the Social Democrats to Sinn Féin to AAA to PBP to left independents like yourself, of whom there are, of whom there are quite a few. Yeah. Is there anything more fractured than the Irish left? There's not. And I know I come from a fractured. I came from Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin, the Workers' Party, the Democratic Left... Uh, I came from, um, um, uh, you know, a, a, a war of attrition where I was a member of a party that were being attacked, physically attacked in Northern Ireland by the provisional IRA and by the INLA. Uh, so did I come from a violent background? Essentially, you could say I did as a member of Sinn Féin, the Workers' Party. No question about that. But it has always been my philosophy. And I really do believe and I still believe it. And I mean, people may laugh when you say this. Like, we're probably the only country at this stage where we do not have, essentially, the essence of a socialist, a competent, large, left-wing opposition. And we don't have it because of, like, if you have two hours to go through, what differences are there? And there are very few. But I think a lot of the time it's personality differences. And, like, that has kind of ruined, I think, the development of reasonable socialism. I don't subscribe to the view that uh, I, I wouldn't agree with some of the policies. Uh, it, 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 I think, but I think there is a need for a moderate left-wing alternative. 
Um, but the outcome of that is that you, as a left-wing political representative, find yourself in what some people have described as the most right-wing government in I, the history I, of the I, state. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to argue that point with you here. You are. I, it is the <laughs> most right-wing government. Well, in the history I, I would no. I don't think it's the most right-wing government. I think that that I, I think uh, essentially because of the makeup of the doll that um, you look at voting patterns as to how votes have been changed, how people have, have had to moderate their view on issues. Um, I wouldn't, I'd say some of their policies are okay. Um, um, but I, but I, if we were to look at... Well, actually, I mean, if we were ahead, to Pat. look at the, yeah. the political character of this government, the, the programme for government that was adopted after lengthy negotiations uh, with uh, John and his colleagues and, and with Fianna Fáil was a good deal more left-wing than actually the manifesto, the election manifesto of the Labour Party. I mean, if, if you crudely, if you look at the right... Expenditure, taxation expen- versus expenditure exactly, and so on. I made yeah. this point yeah. here before that all the available resources, the increase in resources um, exp- expended in the government, uh, in the budget by the government, um, including pre-planned increases in public sector pay and uh, extra money for the health service and uh, and all that. But the increase over uh, uh, was in the region of three billion, uh, three billion euros, about uh, half which was announced on budget day, and about three hundred million of that was for tax cuts. The rest was for increases in public spending of one sort or another. Wasn't that as much to do with Fianna Fáil as with anybody else? With all due respect to John, I'm it sure he was, had his own It, it was, <laughs> I think, because both the rise of Fianna Fáil, the destruction of the Labour Party, the lessons taken from that by Fianna Gael, the massive seat loss that Fianna Gael also experienced yes. at, the, at, the, yes. uh, at, at the general election last year, and the rise numerically in the doll and also the coming to power of independents like John has shifted the centre of gravity of Irish politics to the left. Uh, Purely, uh, you know, if if gauged purely on that, how does government expend its resources? Does it choose to, uh, does it choose to spend it on tax cuts, reducing the size of the state? Does it increase increase the size of the state in terms of public spending and uh, and and expenditure on investment in public public services? But but classically, as often happens in Ireland, that shift of gravity to the left hasn't been because of the mass rise of a left-wing party. Correct. It's because the big centre parties themselves have moved, uh, have yeah. moved to and the I, left. I, I, think, I think there's a bigger picture too, that I think essentially in Ireland the electorate have become more and more educated, certainly but highly politically educated, uh, because of the recession. I mean, the amount of people now can talk to you about banks, can talk to you about credit, can talk to you about social welfare payments and so on, compared to years ago. But you're I, saying they're also more cynical and disenchanted. You said well, that I think there's, I think there's well. a percentage, absolutely. There's no <laughs> one, question. One there's follows from the other. No, no, but I think, well, one, but I think, I think it does. And, uh, like, what I was going to say was this, that if you look at it, um, I think people now have come to a realisation, and I think generally speaking in Ireland, there's a, uh, someone said that the Irish people always take the safe option in voting and politics. I don't think they want extreme left and I don't think they want extreme right. I think they want something in the middle that still has to be defined. I think the Labour Party... You sound like a Fianna Fáil politician now, John. Well, no, you see, like, you see, the difference is, like, you're tarnished, in a sense, by those moderates who kind of want something different, who will say, well, look, there's not much of a difference between Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil anyway, and they come from the civil war politics. How about something different? You find that, um, um, was it the Labour Party... I think essentially the problem with the Labour Party, and I don't like to dump down on the Labour Party because I tend to try not criticise them as much as I can based on uh, their origins and so on. But I do think that um, people are looking for moderate thinking politicians in the centre who will be honest and upfront. And I'll give you an example. I remember saying to, I think it was uh, Eamon Gilmore, whom I like, Eamon Gilmore was in the Workers' Party with me, in the last election, I'm still convinced if Labour had have gone to the electorate and said, look, we're in serious goddamn trouble here. We're going to have to make the most awful cuts. We haven't got the money. Blame the triker, blame what you like. If you're looking for, we may even have to cut social welfare. But we're going to tell you the truth on this. I think they would have still been in power. I think they would have still been able to form a government and people would have said at least they're honest. 
But they didn't do that. They said to people, we will make life better for you. Fianna Fáil have wrecked and ruined everything. We were going to come in, you'll see within a few budgets. Sure, the first three budgets were chaotic. And I think, rightly or wrongly, that is not the issue. The economic debate now is well over on that. The point remains that if they'd have gone to the people and been honest with them and said, I do a thing when I'm canvassing, I never make a promise in my literature. And I tell my canvassers, don't promise anything on behalf of me, don't do it. Because I don't know if I'll be able to deliver it or not. So don't do it. And I think if they'd have come along and said, look, we're in trouble here, serious trouble, we might have to cut social wealth, we might have to do all these cuts, the cuts that they did make, I think people would have said, well, it can it be any worse than what we were getting. I think but people would have trusted it, them a bit more. It, it, aside from the pre-election behaviour of the Labour Party, going back to uh, 2011, has your experience in government uh, over the last eight months or whatever, has that made you more sympathetic to the plight of the Labour Party in the last government. I'll tell you what it has done. And again, uh, you know, like uh, there was an opinion, uh, yeah, like it's it's like I remember when I was in opposition, I was only a councillor at the time, and I remember Prunch Easter Rossa, uh, he was made Minister for Social Welfare. Can you recall it? it was Social Welfare. And I remember people saying to me, Jesus, you couldn't get a better man. This will be great. I want to get some money off of him. You know, but if you speak to the Rossa, the Rossa found when he got in there that it was, oh my God. He said, once the civil servants get hold of you and say, hey, hold on, this is what you can do and what you can't do. What I would say to people is this, that uh, I was never under the impression that because I was going to... I never asked to be a minister, by the way, to just be honest on that one, uh, that I was never under the impression because I was going to be a junior minister that I, would, I could say, oh, lovely, I can do this and I can do that. You can't. You cannot. I have a serious problem at present. I deal with school transport. I was explaining to your researcher there. Um, 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 114,000 kids being moved twice a day, uh, 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 children that are eligible, concessions, we're dealing with bus air and so on. It is absolutely chaos. I'm inundated with families, why their child can't be moved, why their child can't get a bus, distances one laid out, and it essentially comes down to money. And actually people did think, and I remember I called in a representative of all the parties to... To, to, to discuss this and come up with a formula and eventually um, I had said look I said to Fianna Fáil look 50-60 million will sort this can you get it for me you go with Fine Gael now go come back and I'll sort all these problems that you it's not that easy it is difficult there's no question about it and I, re I respect that and I've always respected that I've always tried not to, to, to make uh, derogatory remarks to individuals in the doll. it's difficult is it difficult for me of course it's difficult for me it's extremely difficult I can't pull stuff I want to pull I know there are people saying well look can you get this John can you get that if you I was just in the office a few minutes ago and there's about 500 letters from all over the country that somehow or another I have to get through school transport innovation solace uh, um, apprenticeships and you rely on civil servants I can't go through all of them you know you rely on to give you advice on this and is the advice good at times not too sure You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast with Pat Leahy and with John Halligan Stay with us we'll be discussing the harsh realities of health policy along with intergalactic Christmas cards Wherever you are in the world, put yourself in the picture with what's going on in national and international sport from the best sports writing team in the business at irishtimes.com sport. The Irish Times. You are what you read. Can I ask you about health? Because all those oh, yeah. kinds of problems are, are more apparent probably in relation to health than anything else. And health, both at a local area, the, the local issue of the regional hospital yes, for huge, you yeah. has been a huge issue for you. And the other, probably the main bone of contention for you within government, hasn't it? But more broadly, you know, I mean, the, the mess that is the health service shows no sign really of improving. No, I mean, it's chaotic. I mean, I was reading the editorial in your Irish Times this morning. They're 100% correct. The way you should put your money, the money should be put into primary care. We're putting, what is it, 808 million and 4.5 billion the other way. Have we learned anything whatsoever? I mean, it's hard to believe in 2016, uh, I'm in the doll, what, five years now, nearly six years, that you'd be still talking about waiting lists. People sitting on trolleys and so on. Where you can go right across. I've been to all, almost every country in Europe on holidays, and you hear of the health services. What the hell has gone wrong? So, what does that mean for you and government? Well, when you have a conversation it, with Simon Harris. Well, about I, I do. I think that we need to. Uh, I would. Um, I would disband the HSE completely. Start afresh. You can't do it now. It would take a couple of years. I would bring in outside 
uh, advisors from across the world and I would pay them. I would say, have a look at our health system for the last 20 years. Why are we in chaos? How is it we're waiting two years for operations? What is, with a, mo- a moderately small country of 4.5 million, why I would disband it completely. I think we're dealing with about 11,000 managers. Do we need 11,000 managers? We're dealing with a load of unions. Do we need a load of unions? I'm a trade unionist myself. Do we need them? I would disband it. I would bring in. I think we should be men enough to say we can't deal with it. Our own civil service cannot deal with it. It's impossible to deal with as we deal with it at present days. We fire money at A lot of people would share that view, but they're not in government, I suppose, is one thing. And the other thing is that a lot of people have come to the table trying to grapple with this for, you know, several decades. But we grappled with it the same way. The last government came in pledging to abolish the HSE and they found, rightly or wrongly, but their experience was that they found that that simply wasn't the wisest course of action. Can I go back to the... Let's talk about basics. Why is it? How can it be in 2016 that you would have operating theatres all over the country closed at the weekends? Why can we not get... And by the way, some consultants are very good friends of mine in Waterford, but if they're listening, they're listening. Why can we not get consultants to work seven days a week? Why have we doctors charging 55, 60 euro for a two-minute visit? I went to a do- I had to go to a doctor there last week for a prescription um, a little ailment I had and I was speaking to him for five minutes 55 euro we haven't even been able to deal with the basic issues of health where we cannot get operating theatres open a, a simple cataract operation can, cataracts in your eyes can take you um, years to get on the waiting list we're well, in I, France I, I, know, I know how you can get uh, consultants to work seven days a week now of course you wouldn't get the same consultant to work seven days a week you'd get more consultants and you'd establish roster, mm-hmm. uh, rotas and that you'd have to pay them more I don't have a problem to be contrary to. Here's my little bit of socialism coming out. I I think that we... Um, 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 OK, we're at a stage here where we know that people are suffering uh, dreadfully under the present health system. Elderly people, people on waiting lists. Look, let's not... Go, we, we, we don't have to go through it all. We can all come up with examples. We need to change it. If it means we have to, we have to renegotiate with the consultants... So be it. We negotiate with everybody. We negotiate with factory workers. We negotiate with unions. We all enter into negotiations at times for increases in wages and we put everything on the table and see where it falls. And I think that until we deal with the basic problems we have in the health service, that you have operating theatres all over the country close weekends because you can't have consultants. They may be on call, but they're not there. But and, the, and the argument that is made, and Pat has, uh, has touched on that there, is that in order to do that, you're going to have to, as well as deal with structural problems and possibly abolish the current structures and replace them, but you're going to have to spend more money, that, that you're going to need to have more But for more all beds. these short-term fixes, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to spend more, Probably. more money. Right? Yeah. So you end, end up with a considerably bigger health, uh, health budget. Despite the fact that, and one of the big facts about health is compared to other countries adding both public and private expenditure of health, we spend almost more money than almost anybody else yes. on health. You're right. We get poorer outcomes. Well, Why I is get, that? Well, okay, you look at the French system. Look at how, how the French, French deal with it. One of our biggest problems is A&E. This is the care at entry, where in the morning you have a pain in your ear, you can sit in the A&E. Or if you have a pain in your small toe, you can go into the A&E and take up a doctor's time 10 minutes. Rather than going to a primary care, rather than going to a health centre, right, basically. Right. Yeah. And then the cost of an x-ray. Like, if you look at what they try to do in countries around the world, and I've examined this, like, it's not unusual in Paris and Nantes and uh, um, uh, many of the French uh, 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 country, towns and villages, they, they, they bring in these big mobile labs. You can have your teeth checked, you can have your eyes te- checked, you can have your cholesterol done free. I know we do that. You have blood pressure. They can do all the basics they can take they can tra- take five bloods. They can tra- do rheumatoid arthritis, check it for you. They can check everything. And they reckon they've taken about 30%, 40% of people. They have more doctors. Out of it. Oh, they have. Per, no, per head of population. Oh, absolutely. They have more doctors. A few they nurses, have, they have, interestingly. Yeah, yeah. But they've... they've, they've but we uh, don't think of They have more doctors like and they have much more... They have uh, they've many more senior doctors than we have. But at the same time, we are educating thousands of medical students every year. The cost of about, about 30,000 a year and more than half of them leave, uh, more than half of them leave the country. Now... There's an argument about what should be done about that, too. That, that, that they should pay it back in terms of service service once they've graduated. Well, well, there is, but nobody appears to be talking about it. <laughs> well, I think I think the main issue here is this, that it, it, it's, uh, it's like everybody 
every worker anywhere that uh, if you're qualified to do a specific job, uh, the top qualifications you have, somebody comes to you from another newspaper and say, hold on, I'm going to give you another 10,000 or 20,000. It'll, it'll, it'll never happen, John. Your idea is pretty good. But yeah. you're, go, you're, you're going to go back and think about it. You want to say, well, I have to think about this under present economic circumstances. And like, this is exactly what happens and we're not able to deal with that. Like, it's interesting, someone said to me once, John, the solution is I think we have fewer hospitals to the percentage of the population and most other, lots of other countries. Fewer build more. more yeah, build more hospitals. You build more hospitals. Uh, can we staff them? Right now, we cannot. If you had two hospitals appeared in the morning and you needed another 200 nurses over a period of seven days, 24 hours, seven, and that, we'd have some job. We'd have a problem getting... So, like, it's complicated in that sense. So, But we don't... We're still banging along the same way. Well, let's increase health spending next year by 500 million. OK, what's it now? 14 billion. OK, another 500 billion. Why is it? We've been increasing, increasing, increasing. Nothing's changed. I'm, I'm, I'm interested as well... John, in in the the extent to which your local supporters and your electors understand the grasp that you have on the compromises necessary to wield power and the rationale behind your entry to government. Have you found that they've broadly supported that or do you feel, I mean, would what happened if there was an election in the morning, you know, the experience that the Labour Party had in the last election. Is that the sort of thing you would be facing or do you think that people understand your rationale? Well, Pat, to be honest with you, I'm not too sure. Um, I have a really good election team. It's made up of businessmen, there's a consultant on it, there's teachers, there's nurses and so on. We meet regularly. Right now, they continue to support me. They believe that, look, you're in government, you're better in to try and deliver something than being out. Um, How long would that last if I went a year and was unable to deliver? And, like, I hate to use this kind of parochial sort of stuff, but it does come down eventually. Like, the southeast has been more uh, disadvantaged than other areas regarding unemployment and so on. And because it's politics, and that's what it comes down to at the end of the day, people put ideology into the background at times and say, what is this guy? Can he deliver something for the constituency or for the southeast? And I think it's a balance of you doing your job Uh, to the best of your ability and trying to be as honest as you can with people. But also, you won't get away with it unless you're found to to be some way um, 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 good at what you do. I'm lucky in a sense that I have, I seem to have the support of people in Waterford. Um, I do 13 advice centres. Monday morning, we'd 75 in one of the advice centres. Um, I have councillors that support me. But can that change? Of course it can change. A bad decision by the government, some, some, some vote that I take... Uh, where they question, as I've been speaking earlier on here, about making conscientious decisions on everything. And people may say, well, like, no, John, we didn't vote for you for that. And do I get an amount of people that would say that to me? Of course I do. I get people who say to me, John, I think you should pull out. You know, you're really supporting the Fine Gael government. Ideologically, uh, they're not on the same level as you are. Uh, which are beliefs and so on. But the vast majority now keep... I, 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 I actually think that people don't want an election. So I think that's that barometer is firing all, all the way around the country where they're saying, like, you know, Troy... But I could come back here now in a month's time. I could be, on, I could be in trouble. And or how, six how, impor- how important is the provision of that second cat lab See, in, like, in, I, in I keep in saying Waterford. this and I've said it on every programme I've been on all over the country I'm talking about I'm not talking about Waterford here we're talking about 500,000 people in the South East the hospital in Waterford is a designated primary care cardiovascular hospital it is the only one it has the highest waiting list for angiograms stents uh, in the whole of the country it is the only one without a second cat lab These, this is just not something that I dreamed up of look uh, give me a second cat lab this is people are dying you know this is you speak to politicians across the south east they'll tell you we don't understand the la- when 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 so does that have political implications for well, you can i just finish around? on this and it's important that minister harris was down in waterford and not alone did he speak did people come to meet him consultants from Waterford. they came from wexford they came from tipperary they came from all over the south east everyone has been saying this is critical meltdown here People are actually dying. Now, I cannot, we spoke, We keep talking about conscience, I cannot have this on my conscience, that if we're not being treated as equally as everybody else around the country, a whole 500,000 people, even most of them that can't vote for you, are going to say, well, a hell of a lot of good you done. So I have to try and get something over the line on that. And if Whether you don't? I don't have to reconsider my position. 
I mean, there is a, a possibility of what they call a mobile lab, which the consultants would accept. Um, I think it may very well come to that. I'd be happy with that. At least if the mobile lab was there, I believe within a year, the health executive would see, Jesus, all along we needed a second cat lab, but that would do the waiting list. I mean, according to the World Health Organization, we wait for stents and angiograms. It's outrageous. You, you could be waiting two weeks for a stent. You should get a stent in 48 hours in Waterford. Not, not more than the southeast, so it's a big issue for me. Finally, John, I, I have to ask you about your extraterrestrial Christmas card. Um, yeah, one big issue, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it, it, they make quite a splash, these cards. Yeah, they do, yeah, it got a lot of publicity. What's, Look, the, what's the underlying The underlying thing is that, like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a devout, and I, I suppose when you use the word devout, it's associated with religion. I'm a devout atheist. I don't believe in any religion whatsoever. But I like Christmas. I like the idea of peace and tranquility, and uh, I always felt that, I you like, People send almost all of the cards you get are religious cards. So I came up with the idea years ago. I'd send a different card to people just to wish them a happy Christmas. And, and this one, I don't know if if, if our yeah, it's, here, a, sort of, there's, there's it's a sort of an alien esque kind of a creature yeah, on a beach with the sunset in the background. There's, there's also kind of a down to earth message in it that you're not alone. That's the little thing in it. That you know you're not alone. We're not alone. And that's that's my idea. That's my right. belief. There's three and a half thousand. By the way, all paid for by me. Not printed in the Oireachtas, printed by a printer in Waterford. I mean, I'm after getting cards from everybody else that I don't know where they were printed. But like, my problem this year is that so, they, they've gone to 42 countries this year and so many people keep looking for them. Jesus, cost me a fortune. i have to pull back success. a bit. On, the, on that uplifting intergalactic note, we shall leave it there. John Halligan, Pat, thanks very much for joining us. Pleasure. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks very much to our producer, Declan Conlon, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. Remember that you can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or indeed you can find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.